I'm John Cox. I'm uh, the senior pastor at Jericho Road, and I just welcome you. Welcome you to our building, which is a miracle, our church, which is a miracle, and it's all a miracle. It's a testimony of grace, it's a testimony of God's faithfulness, um, and we just praise him for it. And uh, his word, we're talking this, this afternoon about, people are walking out already, that's not good. Um, <laughs> uh, he's, God's word uh, tonight, this afternoon is about taste and see. Um, and I'm just going to talk about the Bible and talk about the basis of uh, encountering Jesus. And his word to you this afternoon is really simple. He says he loves you. He really wants to engage your heart. He also says to you that um, he's deeply grateful for the way that you work in the church but just relax and give it back to him if you're carrying it and if you hear tired or if you hear frustrated just relax and give it to him it's his church and he's not angry he's not frustrated he's not disillusioned he's not disappointed with you um, he just wants to remind you of some things us of some things And I love this phrase where he just whispers in your ear and says, you had me at hello. I don't have any more passion for you. I don't have any more love that I can give you other than that that has already been poured out. So I'm going to go through some passages, which is a discipline. Um, I think just as we were worshipping, I think... Um, God also might have prompted this thought, which is um, everybody here has more deposited in their hearts and minds and more information about the Bible than any of the disciples ever had. They didn't have the New Testament and probably most of them couldn't read or write. And God would say the issue isn't how much information you have in you, it's how much I can get it out of you. And we have been born up in a church, uh, in, a, in a culture of um, following Jesus from the neck up. And one of the things he started saying a few weeks ago, or highlighting for me, was he said, you know, in the Old Testament, they spent all their time studying this word and studying this word and studying this word. And when Jesus, and, and they ended up with lots of tensions. And they ended up actually studying the word. And as you know, Saul wanted to kill Jesus and the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus because conclusions they came to weren't what God was saying. And when he called the disciples, he didn't say, look, I'd like to call you and then you've got to go to three-year seminary and then you've got to study the Greek and the, you know, you probably some of you are Greek speaking, but you need a lot of information and then I'll come back in three years and I'll call you again and see if you're worthy. In the Old Testament, people followed Jesus with their heads and it was anointing on special people. In the New Testament, when Jesus came into this world, he said, follow me. In other words, uh, if you actually place your feet on the ground and start walking, your head will catch up. And if you open your heart to me, I will take you to places that your head cannot tolerate. 
And Father, I pray today that you would just open that up for us. That we would surrender our minds to you, our arrogance, our pride and our understanding. And we would actually allow you to captivate our hearts and enable us to enjoy again uh, the walk with you that you invite us into. In other words, you, as you sit here, are absolutely able to do anything God has for you. You don't have to get somewhere else before you qualify. And God is shaking up his church all over the place to take back that truth. That he just wants people whose hearts are open to him so that he can lead them and release himself through them. And that's what I want to talk about this afternoon. Jesus, two passages, when Jesus came into this world and he started his public ministry, what did he do? He opened up the scriptures and he basically read what is up on that wall. Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We'll come back to that. In Luke 24, you remember it's, it's uh, the crucifixion, the resurrection. The disciples had no clue that there was going to be a resurrection. I mean, they'd never experienced anything like that. They all, you know the story. Everything about their relationship with Jesus had been crushed by the Romans. Once again, these Romans had trumped them. I just have a taste of that growing up in South Africa under apartheid and the police system. Once again, it's been censored. Once again, somebody's been killed. Once again, the guns. I was on campus in Cape Town when there were guns and dogs on the, on the campuses to protest. Very much I was saying to somebody about Hong Kong right now. I have a lot of empathy with Hong Kong. They need to stay in the streets. Because there's a point where if you don't fight for something, you will never get it. And if you get suppressed by something like dictatorships, it's not fun. So there's big battles. And where was I going with that? I haven't got a clue. That doesn't matter. We'll find it. Jesus opened up the scriptures because he, he was, he was, these guys were disillusioned. They were, they were, they were broken. And, and I'm talking about the road to Emmaus. And the men were walking away from Jerusalem and they were downcast and the stranger comes up next to them and, and they tell him, this one who he, we had hoped in, he's Jesus, oh, you're the only one who doesn't know about this. And, and they were despondent. And the stranger, what did he do? He t- took the Old Testament, the scriptures, and he opened them up. And he spoke about what had happened, that he reinterpreted the scriptures. He took the meaning that was always there but was hidden from them, and he explained to them, this is what needed to happen. And their hearts rejoiced. Didn't our hearts burn within us? 
as something they had not even comprehended, began to make sense. And then eventually, as Jesus broke bread, they recognized him. There's lots about following God and following Jesus that doesn't make sense initially. I don't know if you were tired, but I'm really tired about people waving Bibles around saying this is biblical. Everything's biblical. But it might not be true. Quick overview of the whole Bible. In the beginning, Genesis, what happened in Genesis? There was chaos on the earth. It was all without form, void, as it says. And in this chaotic place, the spirit hovered. And then we read, God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And he created the earth. And he created the people in the earth. And he created all the structures of the earth. He spoke and it came into being. The spirit hovered. God spoke. And out of the invisible, something was released. And we have the creation story. And out of that creation story, we have the creation of Adam and Eve. We have the fall in the garden. We haven't got time to go all of that, into all of that. But in that garden, there was this communication between God the Father and his created beings, Adam and Eve. And then there was the fall and they were separated. And what had been something that was wonderful became something that was estranged. And the word of God wasn't so quickly and accessible anymore. And Adam and Eve were full of uh, the guilt of, of failure, the guilt of sin, and the separation, the barrier of sin. And so they ended into sacrificial systems, and they ended into the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the word of God written in stone, put in an ark, and the presence of God traveled with them. And the whole Old Testament is the story of human beings trying to be reconciled to God by their behaviors and by their attitudes and by their trying to keep the rules. And it, it was violent, it was exhausting, it was tumultuous, it was backwards and forwards. A God who never gave up on his children, but his children who kept on wandering off. And then you get this wonderful phrase and, and, and promise in Ezekiel. What does he say in Ezekiel 36? He talks about the, I'll give you a new heart. Ezekiel 36 verse 25. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land and I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And that must have sounded wonderful. But how on earth was he going to do that? Literally on earth. And then we have the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. The word became flesh, John tells us. The word becomes flesh. And a human being, Jesus, filled with the spirit of God, walks this earth. And demonstrates what it's like for a human being to be empowered with the spirit of God all the time.
The word became flesh and dwelled among us, says John. And then Jesus does this strange thing. He's called his disciples. This is about the word of God, by the way. He calls his disciples and he's just called them and they haven't been with him for very long. And then what does he do? He sends them out way before. Let me just tell you why I'm authorized to speak on this. I went to an Anglican church school from the age of six. I sang in the choir for six years. I got the Royal School of Music solo award for being a treble soloist. I sang the Forays Requiem and the Creation and the Messiah. And I was a very sweet little boy in those days. And then I was a teenager and I wanted to meet girls and everything went downhill from there. I went into the Anglican church. I became, I became a Christian actually in a Methodist youth group. And then I um, joined, I, I, I won't tell you now, but I went to the Anglican church. I went to Wycliffe Hall, Oxford, and I did three years in certificate in theology, which is a great name drop. I did a BD honors degree because I thought that if you got educated, people would hear you. Um, I'd already done a BA in psychology. I'm very well educated. But I would have to say, when Paul says, I count it all as nothing, I absolutely agree. Because in all the education, all the theology, all the stuff, there wasn't a lot of life. I'm not saying you shouldn't study. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying it comes with a health warning, a very big one. Because the church I grew up in, if you have those credentials, you go somewhere. And you would think that the only qualification to actually share the word of God in the world was for those who are educated. Which is why I started by saying the disciples wouldn't have qualified. In November, I'm going to India for the second time. We went last year and I'm going to in the south of India, I'm going to meet with 200 pastors. We're going to an orphanage, but part of this is doing an outreach crusade where there, there might be a couple of thousand this year. And they're also, I met with them last year, apparently, they, they're hungry. They're 200 pastors. They're village pastors. They, I don't even know how they become pastors. I'm going to ask them this year. Uh, Bishop Philip, take this with a pinch of salt. But I did wonder what it would be like for me to say to the Anglican Mission, I've got 200 pastors who want to affiliate to something. And they don't follow and they don't fit the mold at all. It's not a rebuke of anything. It's just a declaration of something. It's just, I think we've got way, way, way too confined. And God's shaking up his church. In this valley, uh, when I came here in 1985, there was a Lutheran church on the corner here where the gas station is. I think it's somewhere around there. That doesn't exist anymore. United Church down the road is a fish and chip shop. The Anglican church, one of the Anglican churches, is a, a funeral home, which is pretty much it deserved. Um, it was a funeral home before it was a funeral home, if you know what I mean. But <laughs> and um, there's another church that was a non-affiliated church that's now a gym. God's not interested in denominations and he's not interested in buildings. He's not interested in qualifications. 
And all around the world, all over the place, he's just saying, I'm, I'm taking my church back. And if you don't like it, do something else. It's, it's really insulting because he's not even asking permission. He's just letting death come and letting life flow. And he says, by your fruit they will know it. So, Jesus calls his disciples, and, and these are these uneducated disciples, and I shouldn't have gone off on that tangent, but if you've been around me, I can't resist them. I get into trouble. He sends out the 70, and then he, send, he sends out the 12, and then he sends out the 70, and this is what he says to them. Take nothing with you. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave your, that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their, their town and shake the dust off your feet. So they set out proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. A motley grew. I'd love to be able to say, could we see them, Lord? We'd probably go, I don't get this. Take nothing with you. Why? Because the word was made flesh. What does that mean? I think, he, imagine, I mean, Peter probably led the way saying, fine, let's go. And others said, I'm a little nervous. And Jesus says, trust me, I'm with you. But I don't feel qualified. I've disqualified you. I don't feel ready. I've just commissioned you. And they went and they gave away what they had. The kingdom of God is here. Somebody called Jesus has declared his kingdom and he's told us we can lay hands on you and heal you. And it worked. The word was made flesh. And people followed them back to Jesus. Because this was different. Most of the religious expressions that they had been used to were people talking forever. I'm going to give you knowledge that you don't have and you need me to teach you and tell you what to do and how to follow God. And there's a place for that. But I think you know what I'm saying. So the scriptures seem to me to hint at something more. Take a few more just so that you believe the scriptures. John 5.39, you remember that diplomatic moment? John 5.39, Jesus very politely says to them, The Father sent me, has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form. These are two religious leaders. Nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They wanted to kill him for that. Remember John 6 when uh, Jesus is talking about uh, the, his body becoming blood and, and it, it was, it was mind-blowing. I mean, I don't blame them for getting a little confused and scared. And so a lot of people leave. And then he says to his disciples, are you going to leave as well? And Peter replies, and it's a beautiful reply, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the only, the only 
the Holy One of God. In other words, Peter, I love the phrase that somebody else used, which was, when you speak, I come alive. There's nowhere else to go. Even though I don't understand this. And if you track through the disciples, through the whole New Testament, you get confusion, lack of understanding, challenges, commissions that don't make any sense. While we grow up in churches where unless it makes sense, we won't do anything. This is going to get better, don't worry. This is not that bad. Remember with this, the, the parable of the sower. I'm just trying to pick out illustrations in the scriptures to base where I'm going. The parable of the sower. The seeds scattered on different kinds of ground. And we can often think that's just for conversion. What if it's for life? There's hard ground, there's thistly ground, there's good ground. What if the soil is the heart? And when God's word lands in the heart, transformation takes place. When it lands in the head, the ravens of cynicism pick it away and soon nothing is left. I've said this many times before, you know, seeing 700 people in Oxford um, with Billy Graham addressing all the theological students. 700 of them. And Billy Graham talked about Jesus forgiving sins. And I so admired him because he didn't try and become a theological academic. He just talked about the simple message of Jesus. And that had more impact than all the study that often led nowhere. I love study. I'm not against it. I just don't think it's the word made flesh. And after the resurrection, where the people are totally disillusioned and broken, Jesus rises from the dead and he appears to them, appears to Peter. I think every ordination service should be this. Do you love me? Yes, go for it. I really think that would be cool. Probably transform the church. Do you love me? Yeah, go for it. You go. Be filled with the Spirit. Go. What happens, Jesus says, now all that you know about me, all the stories you can tell about following me, all the times you blew at each other, you, all of that is not going to be enough. So wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. Now you've got the Old Testament scriptures, you've got the Word made flesh that you've been with for three years, you've got the experiences of that. But brothers and sisters, you don't have the guts to do it. You don't have the means and the wherewithal to do it. You'll be talking heads. So wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. And they didn't, you didn't. God's irritating. Because he doesn't explain things. I mean, poor old Moses followed him and he gets to the, to the Red Sea and his feet are in the water and the dust is in the background where Egypt's coming to get them again and he doesn't like Egypt. It's been bad news for him every time he's been there. And at that, that time, the, the, the place opens up. Sometimes we want the blueprint and God says, I'm not giving you a blueprint, I'm the blueprint. Trust me, keep walking. How many of you want safety and security before you do anything? Give it up. Go and join Yates Memorial Church. 
Because there's, 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 you can't follow Jesus without risk. So, they wait in Jerusalem. And then, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they speak in tongues. And the word is made flesh. I think tongues is the language of the kingdom. On earth as in heaven. I think tongues is God's way of saying, I'd like to bypass your intellect and I want to use you to, to release my power and presence into the world. And I want you to trust me and I want you to be able to do it without arguing about what you don't believe and what you don't understand. And think about this. When was the last time God spoke, let there be light? It was in Genesis. Right at the beginning, God spoke from the invisible to the visible. From that time to Pentecost, we were struggling with, unless I believe it, unless I believe it, I won't, I won't see it. I've got to understand. When spirit was poured out, the word became flesh, and he said, I'm going to release in you an ability to trust your heart and to trust my presence so that you will do things you don't understand. And they will actually illustrate scripture, by the way. Because I will place in you a heart of flesh and out of that heart of flesh you will have the same ability as those disciples who I released my power onto and said go out and declare my kingdom. And as you go out and do it you will see it. What would that be like? There's a vast difference between Talking about the word and fulfilling what the word talks about. Paul says this. We're going to get a really cool part in a minute. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And you would come back and say, that's what the word meant. But the disciples did it. It says so in the New Testament. Destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it up. Oh, that's what he meant. You remember when he said that? Peter heals people and he goes across, he, he breaks the boundary between the Gentiles. They didn't understand that. That began to be released by the Spirit. And as they looked back, they got understanding. Like the men on the Emmaus Road. You see, there's a following of Jesus that demands the Spirit gives them eyes to see what they don't understand. And then they reflect back and they go, now I see it. Maybe. In part. I like metaphors. I'm going to use a metaphor. I think the Bible in many places and in many of our lives, has become like the Ark of the Covenant. And while sometimes when we talk about the Bible, we talk about we first believing Bible of Jericho Road, I mean, of Portobello or something, we're Bible believing. And I'm, what does that mean? This is a book describing the relationship between God and humanity through the generations from creation. 
about how God sent his son into this world to demonstrate and model something. And then how God raised Jesus from the dead to say the heavens are open. Now everything my son has done is released unto all those who would follow him. They will be people like the world has never seen who are filled with his spirit and his word will become flesh through them and they will do things that are amazing because I live in them. And in their weakness, I will be strong. And I will be able to take somebody who has persecuted the church like Saul and transform him into a Paul. And all his intellect did not get him there. His intellect kicked in after he had the experience of, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he was blind. So I think when Jesus... When Jesus spoke those words up there and said, Today, these words are fulfilled in my presence. He rolled up the scroll and he said, You can use this, but never again like this. And that's when it all changed. Because I brought with me Boston pizza menu. It says on the outside, here to make you happy. And I want to suggest to you that the word of God is a menu and not an end in itself. And the reason why churches have closed in Port Alberni Because there's no food. I mean, how many of you go, oh, darn it, let's go out for supper tonight? I know my wife doesn't. How many of you, oh man, we've got to go and have dinner again with these people? Usually it's a celebration, it's pretty cool. What happens? You go to Boston Pizza, which I thought could be, could be biblical principles, or best practices. So you go into the restaurant. Why do you go to the restaurant? You go there because you're hungry. And when you go to the restaurant, they have this big pile at the front and they say, hello, welcome, where would you like to sit? And you go and sit down. Um, and then what happens? Would you like something to drink? And you ask them for, them for something to drink and they actually bring you something to drink. And then you, you open the menu and you start reading these things. You know, $5 donation towards free kids' meals. Do you want pizza? Do you want starters? Cactus cut potatoes. How about that? Creamy Alfredo burgers. Spicy pierogi burger. Would you like the ribber wing combo? Whatever that is. Lemon baked salmon filet. What would you like? The pictures, too. It's quite juicy. They come into our restaurant and say, I've studied this menu. I can actually read it to you in Greek. In Hebrew. And you say, well, 
if you go to the restaurant and you order the, the Boston lasagna, which I quite like, and I say to the waitress, could I, the, the waitress comes and says, what would you like? Boston lasagna. And they sit down and say, let me tell you about Boston lasagna. You know? And they talk about Boston lasagna, where it grows, how they get the food and whatever. And have a nice day. And we go through these items and the, the waiter, you say, what does it taste like? And they go, I, I don't know, never had it. How long do you think Boston pizza would survive? Where the waiters actually don't really know what's on the menu. And if they do, they just talk about it. And they say, you know what, this is actually an Anglican menu. It's been around for 400 years. Um, we really covered this menu. In fact, we have a group, if you come on Fridays, they'll sing to you uh, the specials in four-part harmony to a tune uh, by Wagner. We sing the word and we translate the word and we talk about the word. But the problem is we never get the food thought it would be cool to name a, a church Jesus Kitchen. What about if we had uh, Gordon Ramsay visiting some churches, doing an evaluation? You know, I'm sort of being funny, but it's not really funny. Because what's happened is we've been lulled into believing that singing the menu and talking about the menu and studying the menu and being able to have menu studies every week at three o'clock is what Christianity is. And then we say, we live in a godless culture. We live in a culture where people don't even turn up to church anymore. And God says, I'm the bread of life. They're not turning up because there's nothing to eat. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and it smelt good and it was good. Its name is Jesus. What would it be like if we coveted that when we read the Bible we say, Lord, what are you saying to us right now? What's the meal? Taste and see that the Lord is good. What happens with the... You see, this book is not going to save you. Stop using this book as a crutch to get out of what you're called to do. What did Jesus do with the Old Testament? He brought life. The Old Testament needed to be incarnated through Jesus. The New Testament is a description of what happened. There's no getting around. The word needs to be made flesh in you and through you. So it's what happens when this word is in your hands that makes the difference in your life. I used to do a, a workshop on personality and I nearly forgot that there's a stone And I, I did this, I, I like to name drop, because I've only got about three, so I've got to use them again and again. And I sort of 
did a workshop, a consulting workshop, when I was telling God to go away. I never wanted to deal with him again, and I certainly wasn't going near the Anglican church again. I was done, done, done. Fed up in the wrong way. And I was doing a, a, a consulting thing with uh, Lufthansa. It was the only big one I ever got, and that was because of a friend. So it's who you know. So Jesus is good to know. And, you, you know, your personalities have four different... Uh, you have the analytical person, you have the relational person, you have the experiential person, and you have the organized person. Those are the sort of big headings. So I say, okay, sell this stone to those four people. So if you are a relational person, you're going to be sensual, you're going to like feelings, you're going to talk about feeling language. And I'm going to take this and say, you know, if you put oil on this, it's so soothing. It'll actually calm you down. You should hold the stone and just let the oil seep around and, and feel it. And, and, and you could even heat it up. It'll be cool. It'll be soothing. Only five bucks. Off you go. To the, to the person who's, who's uh, stop talking, what can we do? We might make up a game of let's throw this at something or toss it into a bucket or do something with it that's active. To the person who's organized, you say, this is a really good paperweight. You can use that to tidy up your desk. Stop. And to the person who is analytical, this, you know how this was made? You know how old it is? What was compressed and what it's made of? And I'll give you all the information about that. This is a stone. But what I'm trying to say is the word of God is just the same. It's how it's translated. I can't take the word of God and just quote scripture. I have to say, who am I talking to? Who are you? I never had any relationship with my father. You know, when Jesus spoke in, in, in this book, he talks about the father's love. Do you know how much he loves you as a father? You know he can use you to touch people's lives and heal the sick? Yeah, you. You know he has a plan for your life, sort of. I don't think he's actually paints by numbers. I think we overrate that. But he will release purpose in your life. You, he, he has a, you don't have to walk backwards defined by your past, even if you've been abused. Look to the Father and let him pull you into the future he has for you. Read this book and you'll see how it works. It's very cool. You think God's intellectually calling you to throw away your brains? Read that book and look at the archaeological evidence. Look at the historical evidence. Look at the stuff. What do you want to know? It'll never, ever end. Your ability to work it out and see how it fits together. It's amazing. What I'm trying to say, my brothers and sisters, is this book held in our hands becomes powerful when we are filled with God's Spirit and those words are written on our hearts. Because when you've, when you've fed to what the, it's a menu that invites participation, and then you have what. What do you think comes after that? Testimonies. Testimonies, yes. A testimony is telling somebody about what you've eaten. I said, that is good. 
It's not hiding behind. Let's have a study so I can show you how much I work. Let me tell you how it's touched my life and then we'll have a study. What would it be like if this week God were to say, just let my word become flesh in you. Relax. And let's what in you already come to the surface and you will find that comes to life. If I can use those early disciples, I can use you. But you have to taste and see so that I can actually use you. Because really all we are are waitresses and waiters in the Lord's kitchen. That's it. And if you want people to come to Jesus, then we have to actually be excited about what he's done in us. What if there's a smorgasbord? I think actually God's word, we're going to wind up with this, is, is actually he has a smorgasbord. He has actually a big table in the front here full of dishes. How many of you are embarrassed about being hungry? I mean, how many just go, I'm not putting up my hand. If, I mean, hungry? I'm not going to confess to that. How many of you are awkward about being hungry? Or awkward about going into Boston Pizza and ordering a meal? Well, if you're not awkward about that, why are we so awkward about saying, I need help? Why are we so awkward about actually saying, I need to be fed? Why are we so awkward about saying, I'm really struggling with this right now? What if our churches are meant to be restaurants? Where people come away saying, I was not only fed here, but I was fed here. And I experienced God. What if the menu says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, encouragement, uh, healing for the sick, financial provision. What if the, the menu that was provided in the church spoke of the promises of God that would meet every circumstance and need and says, I'm with you always. Then what happens? What would you like? What, you, what would you like from the menu today? As you come here today, as you come to this conference, what rises up in your heart is something you're hungry for, you're hurting for, you're longing for. Not in your head. Tell your head to shut up. Your head's got way too much influence. It senses most of the things too quickly. It tells you that you're not used to this, you don't like this. It tells you what you prefer, and it's actually threatened. Listen to your heart. If you're like me, and somebody was talking like this a few years ago, it would be like I'm a little nervous and afraid. Speak peace. No, nobody's going to get hurt. What do you want? The two questions I want to end with. One is, what do you want? What is the cry of your heart right now? I, I want to learn to grow in speaking prophetically. I want to learn to grow in words of knowledge that just speak into people's lives so they can taste and see that Jesus is good before they even know who he is. That's what I'm asking God for. I want to, I want to get insights so that people can actually hear God and know that God knows them before they know him. I want to grow in the supernatural. I want experiences of him that I've never had before because I'm not actually that experiential based. I'm jealous of those who get more experiences. 
I first came into the Anglican Church through a guy called Bill Burnett, who, who led the renewal in, the, in, in South Africa. I lived on community for, with him for a year. You couldn't have two different peas in a pod. He's high church. I'm peasant. And God showed me through Bill that the church could be different. And he had a radical encounter with God in his chapel um, when he was 55. And he spent the rest of his life talking about Jesus, calling people up for Jesus. And God showed me then, he said, John, it doesn't have to be that way. In Oxford, I think Michael Green was very influential. I went to his church and he, he used to say, well, the Anglican church is a bit of a dog's breakfast, but you've got to fish out of some boat. So, so you know, thank, thank you, Michael. But uh, it, it, nevertheless, I saw the menu providing food and people responding to the food. I saw it and it was alive. John Wimber was another one who, who pushed us into places saying, don't just say it, do it profoundly impacted us. I mean, Bethel Church down in Reading, Bill Johnson, uh, Toronto Airport, Randy Clark, all these guys are so radical, all they're doing is delivering on the menus. Yes, they make mistakes. Who cares? I mean, I'm saying that with caution. We care. But wow, we've got a couple who are in Brazil right now with Randy Clark. Because they're hungry. I want to see God work and I want to see him work in me. And I don't believe he can and I've got to go to Brazil because it's so hard here. Why? Because we don't believe. We're in a dangerous time. We've just pulled out of Parksville and I say this unashamedly. The Anglican church is having a pissing contest in Parksville over who's going to run the church. It's serious. And Jesus says, why don't you just actually let me release my spirit? Because I don't care what the denomination looks like. I want my kingdom to be manifest. It's good news. Because ultimately, you see, what I'm trying to say in all of this is the word made flesh means that we can all play and we can all be involved and he can use us. As long as we don't take ourselves too seriously and as long as we realize that in our weakness he is going to bless what he does in us and through us. So we want to wind this up, but it would be absolutely ridiculous to wind this up by just going, Amen. I remember when I came back from Toronto many years ago and I spoke about what was going on there and people falling down. I kind of found myself at the end going, oh shoot, now I've got to ask people to come up and God's not going to do anything and it's going to be really embarrassing. And he just blessed that time. So I asked you about how embarrassed are you being hungry because I really believe God just wants to invite us to receive from him right now. And... There's nothing, um, picture a whole big table, a buffet table here. And he just really says to you, my child, my son, my daughter, what do you want today? What do you need? What are you hungry for? And that's one question. And I think he wants you to answer it without being vague. Like, I'd like some kind of vegetable. No, do you want a potato or do you want a... 
carrot. Because the language of the kingdom is ask, seek, knock. So that's one thing. The other thing that I think he also wants to do is ask you if you could give him permission to give him what he thinks you need. So there are two questions. One is, you can tell me what you want and I will release it to you. I will release it to you right now. And the other one is, Lord, I'm just here because some of us are a little stubborn and we don't think we need anything, you know. And then, Jesus, I just, I just open myself to you for whatever you want to pour into me today, through this conference, through soaking prayer on Friday night, through the talks that we're going to hear. I just, I want to be anticipating something. And my encouragement is that you just actually receive what God has for you. Forget about whether you feel it or not. Just say, I want to eat today. And I want to take this and make it my own so that I can actually be the word made flesh. Um, You've got to just take stuff and use it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm taking a sort of a risk. This time last year, I used to say for... Oh, I've got a, I've got a few words for you. Um, I used to say for 40 years, when I was 14, 12, 13, 14, I took two years of music practice and I, it was all through theory. So it was learn the notes and try to sight read. And over the years I've bought books and I've always said, oh man, I want to play the piano. And if you listen to my talks over 25 years, I'll say, man, I, I just, I always make this resolution and I don't do it. And my daughter a year ago came up to me, some of you know her Carmen, she's in London now teaching, and she said, oh, there's this music site on, on the web uh, from England, a Christian music site, and, and I just went to look. And there they were doing um, courses on guitar and bass, pretty much every instrument for worship, and they had keyboards. So I thought I'd look at the keyboards, basic keyboard. And they just asked, the guy just stood there by a keyboard, and he said, well, this is how it works, and this is a major, and this is a minor, but he did it by doing it. And I began to do it. I was like, God just opened it up. It doesn't let, it's not, I'm not talking about concert pianists. Don't get, you know. What happened was, it was like, I'll teach you through chords, not through sight reading. I'll teach you through almost your heart. And what I'm trying to, and, I, and I'm going to play something as we minister, both because I couldn't do it last year, and also because God doesn't need much to be able to use it. And he's also, I believe, saying to some of us here today, he said, some of you have given up on things that I want to awaken again. I don't want you to be like John who whined for 40 years. I'd rather give it to you earlier, release it in you. You've got to do some work, but there's some things that you've locked away that you've given up on, and God just wants to say, don't give up on it. Let me awaken some dreams in you. Because the Satan comes to steal and destroy, and we believe his words so what I'm going to ask is, is that uh, when I go to the piano, we actually just give some, the Lord some time. And once the sound is set, that you guys in the booths also come down. If you're a habitually a leader, don't get busy right now. Because you will habitually want to avoid this. But I just invite you to get into the aisles and just say, Jesus, I just give you permission to minister to me. 
And I'm going to ask uh, the members of Jericho Road to just go around and minister. And all I'm meaning by that is not talk to you, just bless what God is doing. And this is give him some time to make his word flesh in us. Is that okay? You're not too sure? It's not as bad as going to Boston Pizza. It's just about receiving. There's no pressure. And we're going to speak healing over this body. You see, when Gen- in Genesis, God spoke and things came into being. I speak healing into this body. I speak refreshment in the name of Jesus. I speak death to the things that have robbed us from our inheritance in the word. And I speak life. That, Father, this, weekend, this week we will have the Emmaus Road experience. Our hearts will burn within us. That we don't have to go through another long course before we qualify. But right now, we actually are your sons and daughters in whom you place your spirit and through whom you work, with our various personalities. I've learned to not try and second guess when I ask God for words for healing. So I'm just going to speak them out and just receive if it's you. We'll leave it there. And, and sometimes they, like an ingrown toenail doesn't sound like very spectacular, but if you've got one, it's not cool. So, Father, I just speak your word of healing over these words. If you've got an ingrown toenail that's hurting you, God wants to heal. Somebody's uh, got sciatica, it's been going for six months, it might be on the left side, and he just wants to touch that part of your body and set it free. Somebody's got a bruised hip, I don't know anything about that other than that. Somebody's got an awkward shyness, you really hate speaking in front of others, and God wants to just take that from you today and say, come on, be bold. So if you have that kind of word, just receive boldness. Someone's got panic attacks that nobody knows about and you're struggling with them. Let Jesus into that part of who you are and he'll speak peace into them. In the name of Jesus we break panic attacks, anxiety. And I have never heard of this before, but somebody might have something dealing with mitochondria disease. Um, and if you do... Father, I just speak healing into that as well. So I'm just asking you to, you don't need words from me. Just come before the Father right now. Let his word be made flesh among us as we actually experience his presence. And we're going to do one thing after that, but let's just give him some time right now. So if the people of Jericho Road, you can actually just go around and bless what God is doing. And the rest you can spread out around this place and just be present with him. Is that okay? Let's do that. Let's get up and... uh, And Father, we just uh, bless uh, the love that is in your heart for each of us here right now. Thank you that we don't need to be afraid. So I'm asking you to get out from behind your your, uh, pews because that's just a real cool security thing. I need somebody to turn the piano on for me, please.